everyone, and welcome to Magical Streaming, a podcast where we watch Disney+, Plus, give you some facts, give you some history, and give you our opinions. My name is Amber. My name is Marie. And this month, for our Podcaster's Choice episode, I chose Cinderella, the live-action 2015 remake of the Walt Disney Pictures classic, because it's Marie's birthday this month! Woohoo! Gonna be a birthday... Alone at home, just the two of us. That's not true. Our cat is here. Well, yes, that's true. And without any birthday presents, because you can't order anything online. That's also true. It's okay. I'm 31. I don't need. Well, I'm gonna be 31. I don't need birthday presents anymore. You have the present of almost all. Not almost. A lot of the Disney content available to watch on Disney Plus. Okay, just let's 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 just get, get a this synopsis. Rolling. So the synopsis for Cinderella 2015 live action remake off of Disney Plus goes as follows: Celebrate Disney Cinderella, a modern classic that shines with beauty, imagination, and magic. Despite being mistreated by her stepmother and stepsisters, Spirited Ella resolves to take charge of her fate with a little help from her fairy godmother. What do you, what's your take on the synopsis? Uh, my take on the synopsis is that the first one that hasn't made me question <laughs> who they hired to write synopsis on Disney+. Plus. You know what? They did it. We found it. We found a good synopsis we on found, Disney Plus. We found the one. We, it's all downhill from here. We'll never find another good one after this. Okay, let's not be pessimistic <laughs> about it. Let's. I mean, okay, this is what one in twenty or something like that. Yes. So we're bound to find a few more. <laughs> that's the ratio. That's the ratio. Anyway, hit it with some history. All right. So Cinderella. 2015, as you might have imagined, was released in 2015. 2015. It, by the way, we're <laughs> saying 20, Cinderella 2015 to make the distinction between the animated version and the live action version. The title is not actually <laughs> Cinderella 2015. Oh, but I wish it were. <laughs> oh, you don't. That would be so... I imagine it to be like a movie made in the 60s about like what Cinderella would be like in, if it's 2015. Like a, in 2015 and there would be flying cars. She would... Her carriage would just be a like hovercraft that the fairy godmother makes out of like a rock or something and then she would wear a sma- spaceship to the ball on the moon. Man, I... Okay, let's... Someone make this, please, and then hit me up. Um, so March 13th, 2015, the film had a budget of $100 million, which is, in 2020 money, $109,139,006.91. And it brought in a box office of $542.4 million, so over five times its budget, which today would be five hundred ninety one million nine hundred sixty nine thousand nine hundred seventy three dollars and forty six cents. Marie is so mad. <laughs> so after Alice in Wonderland live action Tim Burton two thousand ten was so successful, Disney decided we had a Let's ride this live action train. We gotta ride the live action train and they have not stopped since. So they began to put together a team to uh, make the movie starting in May 2010. By August 2011, uh, Mark Romanak was um, brought in to direct, but he left in January 2013 because he wanted to do a darker version of the story that Disney did not want to go with. Well, one of the things I saw is because after there were, I guess, mixed uh, reviews for Maleficent, and so they decided for Cinderella to go back towards the more, like, classic retelling of the story route. What year did Maleficent come out? It came out before. Uh, it was 20... Was it 2013? 2012? 
Um, but that wouldn't make sense because I mean he left in January twenty fourteen. Okay, that doesn't that doesn't add up. Well, I don't know. Because Maybe he left in January twenty thirteen. Okay, well. So somebody somewhere is lying on the internet. <laughs> um No kidding. And that month, by the end of the month, they had brought in Kenneth Bragg Bragg Bragnath? However you pronounce his name, we're very professional here, uh, to direct, and obviously they went in a much lighter direction. Um, The first person to be cast was Kate Blanchett, who signed in on uh, the project on November 2012. In March 2013, Emma Watson was in talks to play Cinderella, which Marie dodged a bullet that was ultimately then turned to me. Uh-huh. I couldn't. Um, but that's for another podcast episode. Other people who auditioned included, or uh, who were in talks, but the scheduling just didn't work out or something else came under contract. Uh, Gabriella Wilde, Alicia uh, Van Kunder, uh She played the Laura Croft in the newest Tomb Raider. Uh-huh. Bella Heathcote, Margot Robbie, um, and... The girl whose name I can never pronounce, but is Irish and was in Little Women. Sure, sure, Ronan. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, move on. Um. So in April thirtieth, twenty thirteen, Lily James was announced as Cinderella, and just a week later, Richard Madden was announced to be playing Kit, who was the name given to the new Prince Charming. After that, June 2013, Helena Bonham Carter, Holiday Granger, and Sophie McShearan were cast. Holiday Granger and Sophie McShearan playing the stepsisters, and of course, Helena Bonham Carter playing the fairy godmother. In August, Haley Atwell and Ben uh, Chaplin were announced to play Ella's parents. And then in 2013, the last round of casting, which announced uh, for Stellan Skarsgård as a Duke and for Nonzo uh, Anunzi as the captain. And then the filming took place in England primarily. And pretty much after that, everything went according. There was no real major setbacks in scheduling. They filmed it all in time. And then the editing took quite a bit of time because there are there's a fair bit of cgi in here there there is a fair bit of cgi yes so that took up the rest of the time until it was announced uh very favorable reviews from critics very favorable reviews from the public for how much it is underrated like did very well people really like it yeah like to me this remains to this day, the best live-action remake that Disney has put out there, and it could have gone very wrong for me because Cinderella is my childhood favorite in terms of classic animated movies, Um, so obviously, you know, when it's your favorite, you always have a, you're always a little more critical critical of it, Uh, but no, like, I think, like, we haven't seen Mulan yet. Who knows when we're going to see it. But to date, this ranks number one of the remakes they've made for me still. I I do think they did a really good job with it. And I think a lot of people saw that. I think it remained true to the original story while bringing forth elements that weren't present in the original. So, yeah, like, we're, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. A little more later. Um... Awards, though, not many. Uh, 33 award nominations, none of the major um, that people tend to think of when you think of awards, and three wins, um, none for major awards. There was the Capri Hollywood Film Festival Award for Best Costume Design, the Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild Awards for Best Period Hairstyles, and um, a Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film. So, of the two, costuming, hairdressing are (laughs) the winners here, but it's clear to see why. 
Yeah, this no, is I mean, visually, but they they deserve those awards like in even more prestigious. Right. It's like. Right. Award. A lot of their nominations were for costuming and for um, hair and for all of it because. This movie, when you watch it, it's just look after look after look being served. It's gorgeous. Yeah, no, everything, and not even just the co- like the costuming. Yes, definitely, but everything is so it's like regal and just like the um, in terms of uh, the architecture and like just the like the castle and. I agree. I think it's all. Just the whole film feels vibrant and bright. And that's why it's funny to me that the first director had a darker take. Because I can't even... Dark does not come to mind at all with this film. Everything I think about it is all light. Yeah. I mean, and there are some darker frames. And usually when you have those darker frames, it's because something bad's happening. Right. As for... Uh, the legacy here, obviously it's trickier because Cinderella already has its legacy in the parks. Yeah. So they're not going to change things from the classic to the animated version. Uh, the one thing, they did have the coach. That you could post uh, for in front of for a while. Yeah, at different points leading up, they had it at Hollywood Studios. And then I've seen it sometimes at parties or special events in... Um, the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, so clearly well. it still exists. The yes. prop is still out there. And uh, that, I mean, that's another thing that is stunning. Oh, like, it is beautiful. Yes. No, everything, this movie is visually, like, every everything about it, to me, there's, like, something good about it. Visually stunning. The soundtrack is so calming and soothing, like... You want to know, um, the... Other, the composer, his other, what he did before this. What? He did um, a born, oh, I'm feeling really much like I'm not, a born identity film, I believe, was his score before this. Born Uh, identity, supremacy, whatever. One of those Jason Bourne films. Well... So, you know, duality. People already said how people are multifaceted. Duality of man. Yeah. Uh, So, moving on to some trivia. And, like, 90% of the trivia I have is actually costuming related. It's what people want to know. And of that 90%, another 90% is specifically about Lily James Cinderella's dress. I mean, it is... It's a hard thing to take an iconic look, like people associate Cinderella to her original dress and update it and, and make, make it, it new and something special, and they did. Yeah, and they made it even more iconic, in my opinion. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So tell me about what you know about it now. Okay, well, I'm actually going to start with the glass slipper, uh, which, so the glass slipper that was used in the movie Lady James has said in interviews that it actually didn't fit on her foot. It wasn't made really to be worn. So instead, the slippers were added into the movie via CGI in terms of, like, wearing them. You know, when they're holding it up, it's an actual prop. But when she's wearing them, then that's CGI. Uh, The slipper in the film was created by Australian crystal company Swarovski. Ah, Uh, yes. They developed a special piece of machinery specifically to create the slipper. And there were eight copies made, uh, none of which were worn in the film. Again, well, just use, most of them use as props. What would you even... One of them to be broken. Like, can you imagine spending, like, making the machine to make this thing and then spending however many hours to make this perfect thing of, like... It's a glass sculpture, ultimately. Right. And it's so beautiful. And then it's just for the purpose of it being broken. Although, like, maybe the one they break was a replica, not specifically made by Swarovski. I don't know, but... eh. Either way, I mean, that's part of being in the film industry. They make stuff all the time just to break them. It's kind of like cakes 
like like people who make cakes and cookies and like just any edible art that's like you spend so much time and it's just all gonna go away this is the same thing here it's just gonna be destroyed you know what but isn't that life (laughs) i guess uh now in terms of the dress the iconic blue dress uh again with swarovski there were a total of 10,000 10, Swarovski crystals placed one by one on the blue dress yep. and in Lily's hair as well. That is so many to put on one by one and also just to have in there. Also because you have to take in consideration that there were eight versions of this dress yes, made. I saw so that. So we're talking... If it if each dress and maybe not each dress had the same amount because each dress served a specific purpose, um, but like did all eight versions of the dress have ten thousand Swarovski crystals put into them? Because that's if eighty thousand crystals. If even half of them did, that's still so many. Yeah, and I mean, also in her hair, like yeah, because you have to take them out. And then put them back in because the whole ball sequence and transformation sequence weren't filmed all in one day. Right. Uh, Which actually, both for Lily James and uh, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, the dressing, like, timeline in terms of when they were wearing, well, uh, Helena when she was wearing her uh, poofy white dress and then Lily with the blue dress... Uh, when they started out, it would take them an hour to get dressed. And they did, like, get it down to about 20 minutes at some point. That's the shortest amount of time. Like, imagine needing 20 minutes to get dressed. And, I mean, that's really a thing of the time. Exactly. Like, there, there was a time where it really just took a lot of time to get dressed. Because she did wear a corset, which is one of the things that spurred, like... I remember one of the There's big controversy. controversy about the movie was the idea that Lily's waist had been photoshopped. photoshopped to be smaller than it is. But as it turns out, she already has a naturally pretty small waist. I think I saw it was something like 24 or 26 inches. Right. Uh, and then she's wearing a corset. And you got to figure that even just the top of that poofy blue dress has to be more than double that circumference right so with just all of that added in it would make it seem smaller than it actually is in my opinion but that's uh that's a different debate anyhow like in terms of the (laughs) the the beauty standards well corsets and beauty standards that are put upon actresses primarily but also actors that doesn't get talked about as much uh, in Hollywood and other movie industries. Anyway, uh, back on the dress. So yes, as I mentioned, there were a total eight versions made of the dress. And uh, they all were used depending on what Lily was doing in the scene for which the dress was worn. So for example, one of the dresses was four inches off the ground mm-hmm. for when she had to run away from the ball right. and go to her carriage. Uh, Whereas another one dragged on the ground slightly for her entrance at the ball. And I think I recall also seeing uh, there was one that was made specifically for the dance scene. Right. Uh, I don't remember what it did, but there was one made for that. So, yes, each each dress had a specific use for it. Um, It took a team of 20 people and around 4,000 hours to create all eight versions of the gown. Yep. And there were a total of 270 yards of fabric used and up to two miles of hem that were used also in making it. Uh, The designer of the dress, as well as her team, are sworn to silence about the cost of the gown. Um, But some people estimate... Like, there are some estimates that I've put it at about 11,000 pounds sterling per dress. I mean, that would make sense. There was, uh, at some point, I don't know if you're going to get to this, when they were told, basically for the budget, for 
kind of in a Walt-esque move, this is going to be the... This is going to bring this... Kind of the grounding jewel of the movie. Yes. Not just this, but the whole movie itself. This is going to be bringing back these classics to a new light, to a new forefront, to be, you know, the film of a generation. Whatever the cost you need, do it. Yeah, just, like, take this image of what do you see the Cinderella wearing and go with it and make it as beautiful and like it's not it's not just about the beauty it's also it's a magical dress you know like with it doesn't look real with the shimmering and like the the fabric and the tool and the layers that they put in there just and when seem she to make runs it alive and she just like it looks like she's like floating yeah, no, this is, like, again, I, I love everything about this movie, but this is the most beautiful gown that they have remade. Like, the, the Beauty and the Beast Bell's gown We're not does not about even... not on this It podcast. doesn't even come close, but... We're going to have hot takes when we watch Beauty and the Beast live action. So many. Um, that's, so that's the facts that I have about her ball gown uh, I did actually also see in terms of um, the other dress that she wears because she, she pretty much wears the same dress right. throughout the entire movie but they specifically didn't want the costume designer specifically didn't want her to be wearing rags or even to be wearing a dress that you would like basically made from patchwork and just like right. Um, so what they did instead was you know take this dress that is you know it's a pretty dress for a girl who lives in the country and is a sim- lives a simple life and it kind of goes along with her personality it's soft and it's beautiful and it's just like but so it would have been proper for her to have worn in happier times but then as time goes on it gets more faded and it gets more worn and it's never really necessarily ripped but you can tell that this dress has been getting a lot of use because she's not getting new clothes right um and and there's just like such a contrast always between what she's wearing and And what the stepsisters are wearing because she's always in this light pale soft blue and they're always in these really bright yellow and pink like screaming colors yeah and obviously lady tremaine in her dark emerald green and which kind of ties back to the whole villains green and yellow from disney but in a much more regal way which i mean kate blanchett obviously you have to you have to give her something like regal yeah to wear um in terms of i have have one fact about the fairy godmother gown so uh elena bonham's carter's fairy godmother gown which had tiny LED lights interwoven within the fabric of the dress, and they light up every time she casts a spell. So that's something to look for. Did you know, regarding that, the batteries died pretty quickly, so it became a real hassle for them, and they had to shoot things, like, very quickly to get that to match because the batteries would keep dying. (laughs) Well, I can imagine because, I mean, ultimately it is a string of LED lights. You don't really have that many options in terms of what it connects to. Usually it's one of those tiny little plastic box with two AA batteries right. in there. and But it's a lot of lights that are put in there. So, yeah, no, I, I, that doesn't ultimately surprise me a lot that it was a hassle for that. Um, I do also have a slightly more... How how would you say? Not raunchy, but uh, uh, you know, there, we have we have a fact about the prince's wardrobe. Also, I um, have another fact, not yeah, this one. <laughs> okay, well, this one and this is one that I've actually heard about multiple times. Multiple times, uh, I remember watching an interview that Richard Madden and Lily James were on. I think it was the Graham Northern show where it was brought up during the interview. Um, but yes, yeah, so when they were, when they made the costume for Prince Kit, 
uh, it was found that the pants that he was wearing were a little too tight. Or, I mean, it's not that the pants were too tight. It's that the crotch area was a little too noticeable because of the tightness of the pants. But, you know, they weren't necessarily tighter on him than they were on anybody else. Everybody was wearing these tight pants. So make of that as you will. Uh, And because this is a family-friendly movie and they couldn't just have, you know, it all on display, uh, they had to look for several methods to try and hide what was going on down there. (laughs) And uh, that involved him trying on several jock straps so that nothing could be seen through the trousers. And apparently one of them was so tight that he teared up in pain. Which, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, women in corsets. Yeah, it's... Uh, yep, you, there you go. <laughs> I have a fact about wardrobe and Richard Madden as well. Several of, not several, but at least a couple of um, his looks, they dyed the fabrics to to accentuate his eyes more. I know, I actually, I saw something about that, and it's like, I think it worked. He does have dreamy eyes. He does. Honestly, this is such a gorgeous couple in this movie. Like, you see them. Oh, so beautiful. Like, I would see them as my king and queen, and I would be like, don't know what they're gonna do with this country, but they look good. (laughs) Please, paint them on everything we own. Yeah. I will, I will keep all the things, you know, usually royalty sends out these little, well, in the times, they would send out these little paintings and little cards and like. Yeah, I'm gonna keep them. I'm gonna hang them up. I'll be like, look at your ugly king and queen. Now look at this mine. This is what I have. Uh, <coughs> um, and uh, so now in terms of uh, the very few trivia facts that I have that are not related to <laughs> costuming, I literally have three of them. Um, although, actually, there were a couple more. There was another one in terms of the dress, uh, which is also a little more on the personal note, uh, a little TMI. Uh, which is, you know, whenever Lily had to get in the dress, she always went to the bathroom first because you yeah. can't, it's sewed on. The dress was sewed on. So you can't just slip out of it. Uh, but if nature were to call while she was wearing it, they had a dedicated bucket for that use <laughs> that they would just slide oh, no! under the dress. And, like, can you imagine you are in this period piece? You are playing this iconic character that, like, has been known for generations, but is. I mean, and you're I guess. wearing this beautiful gown. And then you have to go to the bathroom and in it's a like, slide the bucket in. It, I feel like that would take you back down uh, to, like, earth level. It's a humbling move. They yeah. were like, we could just figure out a way, but no. I mean, you can't. You can't really like logistically when you're making a movie. Time is money, and if it was already taking her that much time to get into the dress, you can't oh, no. be like, I was thinking guys, about... I need a pee break. And like, okay, I'll take the dress off no. and put it back on. You know how like at at a wedding, the the bride. Uh, the like maid a, of honor. Yeah. Thank you, Veronica, for Thanks, helping Ellie. me go to the bathroom. Comes and they hold up. I mean, she would probably need multiple people. That, yeah, that's the thing. Like, this is, I know your dress was big, but it's bigger. Like, it this is really probably. It was really tricky, even with my dress, actually. Yeah, no, like, you really, I don't think you would need an arm. Honestly, I think the bucket is preferable. <laughs> I think if I were in that situation where I'm like, have this dress, How gotta you go like to yourself? the bathroom. Yeah, that's actually probably, <laughs> you probably do need some assistance on that. <laughs> yeah, you know what, it's all bad. Really, just hope hope that you can hold it in, for the most part. Um, can you imagine whose job that is? <laughs> Bring over the bucket, and but, then someone has to take the bucket away. <laughs> well, someone has to take the bucket away, but also you just mentioned wiping. 
Like, what do you use one of those, you know, one of those things, like, uh, that people use to grab things off the yeah. floor? Yeah. <laughs> you just use that with toilet paper. Anyway. Please hit us up with your theories. <laughs> <laughs> sure, please do. Um, back to regular facts. Yeah, back to your regularly scheduled trivia. Uh, so, if you actually look at it a little more closely, the house that Ella grows up in in the movie, the farmhouse that her family has lived in for generation, has the same architecture, albeit on a smaller scale, as the Cinderella Castle in Walt Disney World. What? How did I not notice that? I mean, it's not very obvious. You can't. You can kind of see it with the little turrets here and there that go up, and then the one that goes the highest. Mm-hmm. But because it's it's not meant to be a castle, so right. it's a lot smaller. Guess, it's more closed in together, whereas right. uh, the Cinderella Castle in Walt Disney World like, is more spread out. Right. And so. All right. But I I like that because it kind of touches back in on you know the Cinderella Castle of Walt Disney World is themed after the palace in the animated version of Cinderella. So not Cinderella's house in the original, but the actual king and princess palace. And then here they kind of turned it around. Yeah, that's a nice full circle moment. Yeah, it's a nice touch. Uh, Also, so Lily James has said in an interview that the carriage transformation back to a pumpkin was one of her favorite scenes to shoot. Uh, So one of the reasons basically is that she was rigged in a giant foam pumpkin complete with a trampoline and several harnesses. <laughs> so this is basically just like a rolling around actually in a giant foam pumpkin. <laughs> and also there was a scene which was cut, which had her inside the pumpkin running around with her arms and legs sticking out. And I have to say, I'm kind of glad that was cut out. I feel like that's not the right feel. That would have been more, like, comedy. A little too much. Yeah, no, too much. It wouldn't have fit with the the overall feel of the movie. But I can imagine that was a very funny scene to witness. You just imagine a pumpkin with arms flailing that's running around. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, so to give the chemistry that real-life sisters would have, uh, they actually told Sophie McShira and Holiday Granger to improvise their lines on set during their first day of shooting. So to just kind of, like, test their chemistry... Well, not test their chemistry. I assume they do that a little earlier on in the process. Right. Although maybe not... Maybe not so frequently for supporting characters. Um... But yeah, just kind of like try to test that sister chemistry, especially knowing that they have to be the bickering type of sisters. So that's what I have for facts. So what do you have then for hot takes? Listen, are they hot takes? Are they opinions? Let me go on on an ode to this movie and how much I love it. Like, I don't know. Here's what I've got to say. Okay, you go ahead. The CGI mice... I don't like. I don't I, like them. I also don't like why they had to make Jacques Jacqueline. Like, I thought that was an unnecessary change. For what? I don't know. I guess it's just the garden mouse, garden also, mice that are all girl mice. Listen, They're I understand what they were going for. But I, if they were going to commit to this with CGI mice, instead of just having real mice... They you should try to train a mouse. Mice are very smart. That's true. <laughs> don't don't talk trash on mice in front of me. Um, they should have put clothes on them. <laughs> okay, so you just wanted the straight up dressed up mice from the animated movie. Yes, but in I did. A live action. Yes, I did. I don't know. No, to actually, you were saying that, and one of the things that I was thinking earlier is. How good the CGI in this movie is. We are on opposite ends of the spectrum. I don't like the mice. No, I don't I don't mind them at all. Like I do like Lucifer a lot. Yeah. That is Lucifer, a pretty cat. He is such a pretty cat. Like they did they did cut out like they changed a lot of things from the animal friends. Like now you have Mr. Goose, you have the lizards, you don't have Bruno anymore. The horses like there's a horse, but it's not really the same right also the cgi stag 
that one is a little I mean it's not bad I just don't like it yeah it's it's a little more off but it's not I mean they have gotten progressively better with the CGI obviously because that's it's just like anything else the technology keeps improving and it's like people... rewatching Toy Story for the first oh, time wow <laughs> let's not um but I don't get any sense from this movie in terms of like there's all there's okay I'm gonna talk about it again Beauty and the Beast there's this uh, it's just for comparison purpose uh there's a specific moment while the Beast is singing Evermore where he's like walking up a staircase or something and then the camera pans out and it gives me such an odd like it's to me like that's just odd CGI it's just kind of like, but like we're not it's like they're about putting it. Odd. I just don't like it. <laughs> no, but it's like it's like they're trying to keep it real, and you get the sense that this is real because the CGI is good. But then that specific moment, it kind of breaks the illusion while still holding its realness. I don't know how to better explain it, but it's an uncanny valley that you don't like. Yeah, I don't get that anywhere in Cinderella. But there's not a lot of CGI. I just don't like the mice. I wish they would. No, yeah, obviously it's not the same kind of CGI. Make them real mice. Although you have to factor that probably like the palace. I have to imagine is CGI. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's pretty big. Put the mice in clothes. I guess there's a lot of palaces in the UK. I didn't really put the mice in clothes. Let me have. I feel like it would have been weirder because the mice in. The animated version, because they're cartoon mice, they're usually walking and standing on two legs. Nah, it'll be fine on four legs. <laughs> Put little shirts on the mice. What's so hard about that? You're oh. already CGIing them. CGI them dresses. a little clothes. It's not a big deal. No, I like the mice. I'm going to disagree with you on this because I'm, I'm going to disagree with any negative on this movie. I'm okay. Listen, you can you can have negative opinions about this movie. I I just think you're wrong. <laughs> Listen, the movie is good. What I'm talking about is these mice need clothes. That's not a like. Why do the mice need clothes? The other animals aren't wearing clothes. They are not her friends living in her house. I think one of the things that shows. Oh, so because they're in her house, they need to be proper and dress up. <laughs> it's not about them being proper. It's about you can tell how much Cinderella loves her little mice and bird friends because she makes clothes for them. That is an extra level of love. Okay, but then if you consider the fact that most animals hate wearing clothes, maybe she is being kinder to them by not forcing them into people clothes when they're animals. You know what? No. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I love about this movie, so it's the same story, but it's a different retelling, which in a sense may. Like, it adds up that they had to do that because the story of Cinderella has been told time and time again, not just by Disney, but in many other versions. So if you don't bring a certain aspect of, like... If you don't make it fresh. Yeah, like, if you if you don't bring some originality to it, then there's not going to be anything special about it that stands out. And... Um, I do want to say to anyone that wants to give a criticism because it's cutting out some of the dark stuff that you see in Grimm's original tale of Cinderella, like the birds pecking out the eyes of the sisters at the end, or cutting the t- cutting the toes and cutting the heel to fit in the shoe. The Disney version of Cinderella was never based off of Grimm's fairy tale. It was great based off of Peros. So, you know what? Come at me. It's not not dark enough. It's perfect. It's the fairy tale. It's the lighthearted fairy tale. You're very passionate about that. I am very (laughs) passionate. But also, I just love how it addresses also a lot of things. And... Okay, one of the things that I love the most about this movie, like little things, is her name. Because who actually names their child Cinderella? Okay, here's the thing. Some of it, um... You're losing your train of thought, so I'm going to keep no, going. No, here's the thing. It's, I just thought, who names their child Drizella? Same thing. 
I okay. You In make the a French point. version, I see what, because you know the French version. I see why you're like. Because doesn't it actually mean something in French? I mean, sin, like, it's the same principle. Cendrillon is the French, and cendre is cinders. It, it's a play on the same word. It all comes down from cinders. Right, but we're not... Like, I never thought of it that way. I mean, I have, because I feel like... It, I feel like I've read it in some versions also, and, like, about how she got that name because of the cinders. Not just in this version, but in also other versions I feel like I've seen that's where they explained the name from. Um, whereas, yeah, in this one, I it's never like her name it is Ella, which is an actual name. Listen, is not a real name either. Whatever. <laughs> Maybe it is. We don't know. Um, yeah, so I, I do like this aspect. I like that they give an explanation as to why the stepmother and stepsisters don't recognize her at the ball because that's always like literally you just change her hair and give her a dress and people don't recognize her but no in this case there's a little bit of magic so that they won't recognize her oh we were talking about this last night one of the big changes is that there's this push for kit Prince Charming to marry a princess. It's what his dad wants. Whereas in the original, he just wants some grandbabies. He does not care who it is. Yeah, he doesn't care where they come from. Just bring all the maiden into the palace. It's his own idea. We're going to give a ball. Every single girl in the kingdom, bring her in so that because he makes a baby with one. her. He's going to He has to like one of them, correct? <laughs> So, whoever it is, yeah. I want that grandbaby. In this one, nope, it's all about the royalty. You gotta marry royalty. We don't care what you like. We don't care who you like. You're gonna marry a princess. Yeah, and the duke takes on a, you know, yeah, the villainous grand, role. Yeah, the grand duke in this movie is much more of an antagonist versus in the animated version he's, he's just the king's lackey and yeah like he's much more sympathetic in the animated version um and then also the glass slipper only fitting her foot again in this it's because of the magic the magic slipper so it shrinks to not be able to fit anybody else's foot which makes a lot more sense because unless she wears a size three there's bound to be another girl in the kingdom who can fit their foot in there. I just thought, I always thought it was magic. Even as a child, I was like, it's magic. And the thing, yeah, it was never really explained. But she does have very, very small feet also in the animated version. Especially when you can like compare it with her stepsister's feet. Um, but no, honestly, like I just think everything about this movie is... Like, I love everything about it. And, like, I think the casting was also amazing. They did a great job job with the casting all around. Like, obviously, I'm very, very pleased with Lily James as Cinderella and Richard Madden as the prince. But everybody else, the stepsisters, Kate Blanchett as Lady Tremaine, like, all around, it was such good casting. And, um... I do like, like, one of the things also I liked about this movie is, no, Lily James was not a newcomer per se when she did Cinderella, but she also hadn't had that many big roles. Like, yes, she was on a very popular TV show for, like, especially in England, but also in the U.S., like, she was in Downton Abbey, but she didn't have, like, she didn't come into that show until season four or something like that. Um, and it ended up being more of a, like, she, she wasn't in the movie. So I, I don't think she was in, she wasn't in very many seasons, I don't think. I think season four, maybe season five. I haven't actually watched all of it yet. But, so ultimately she was still kind of a fresh new face. Which I feel for a role like this, for a retelling like this, is important. 
Well, I mean, they didn't need... Here's the thing. They had Kate Blanchett already to be a well, big they had Kate name. Blanchett, they had Alain and Bonham Carter. Yes. So they already had two big names to anchor some of the parts. So I think that helped. I think that helped them be like, you know what? We don't need a big name in here. In the same way that with Aladdin, you had Will Smith. You have a big name that everybody knows, that everybody recognizes, that will draw some people who go see things by name. So, it's okay. I guess, but I feel like a lot of these times, these roles that are so... No, think about it. Mulan. Well, she's... Jasmine. Yeah, but... Alice. Yeah. Only Belle went to a big, but you know what? I know, and that's one of my biggest criticism of Beauty and the Beast. But they don't have any humans, because they do have some other big names in there, but not human to anchor the story. And I think that's why in other stories they've kind of not done it, um... But, and I mean, here, okay, the I Jungle Book. There's only one human in that entire movie. Yeah, and he's not well known. Because he's a child! Well... <laughs> I think if they hadn't had Kate Blanchett and Helena Bonham Carter, if those roles were going to go to lesser-known actors, they would have put either for Kit or for Ella, possibly for both, some bigger names in there. Well, I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> Because I love Lily James. We know. Well, they don't. You do. Everyone know this about Marie. She loves Lily James. I do. So, I wouldn't leave you for her, but... But you might. No. I don't think she swings that way. <laughs> Anywho. Let's get into then villain, villain ranking. ranking. Okay, so this is... A little tricky because I kind of also want to think about the ranking I'm going to give the original Lady Tremaine. There is a slight um, disconnect there in the sense that, I mean, it's the same scenario. In both cases, you're looking at abuse and... Right. But in one scenario, you do have her being abused from childhood onward. In this case, she is already grown up doesn't make it better but there there's still that added edge there um but i feel like these villains that are villainous in a in a human way in a way that's recognizable in a way that reminds me of people saying that their mothers didn't want them to go see tangled and they understood why after they watched it and saw Mother Gothel. These are, like, the villains that have an, like, a capacity to reach so much more deep down. Because abuse is so real. And, like, abusing a child or abusing a stepchild when you are supposed to be a parent figure to them. And turning them into nothing. Like, that is so hard to watch. So, yeah, no, like, the, these kind of villains for me, they're tens. Yeah, we had this argument about Gaston, and I said he was a ten then. I'm going to say Lady Tremaine is a ten now. Not that they uh, are villainous in the same way, but that their villainry is real. It is... The kind of thing it's that, not a fairy tale kind of villain. It's not a fantastic kind of villain. I mean, it is a fairy tale kind of villain, but uh, yes, but uh, you know, it's not like. But their motives are not fantastical. Their means of villainry are not fantastical. They, but what they're doing, the harm that they're doing, this, it is a ten. It's a ten out of ten villainry. It is abusing, psychologically abusing you know, you're someone that's that should be able to look up to you. Somebody should, in your should care. should be able to go for you for safety and instead they have nothing, nobody to turn to. Yeah. You know, and, and also like in this one also specifically 
she takes away everybody around Ella. Like, she, like, even after her, well, first of all, she's already lost her mother. Now she loses her father. But then, this is still a child that has grown up with more than a father and a mother. Like, obviously, these were the primary figures in her life that she loved the most. But she still grew up around all this household staff. They were part of her family. I, I don't think... I know what you're getting at, but that was not a villainous move. That was... I mean, it was motivated by money, no, but it's that still... Was sti- that was a single motivator. If she could yeah. have kept servants, she would have kept servants. I it know. was not I'm, done I'm not saying that with it was villainous done, intent. But it's still, it's still one of the things that further breaks her down. Whether it was intentional or not, it's one of those things that... Because ultimately she is keeping a servant. She's just not keeping one that she has to pay. Right. But no, if she could have kept somebody to cook that could cook better and somebody that could do more around the house, I don't believe for a second she wouldn't have also forced Ella into doing those things. Most but kind I of think, already was. But I think she definitely would have kept them around. I don't think it was intentional abuse to send away the household staff. No, I know. But I'm I'm just kind of saying it adds on to what um Oh, that actually, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Cinderella is not a weak character. Kindness is not weakness. Come at me. Like, I hate this image that everybody always views her as weak because she just stands by the abuse. And first of all... Do you want to know a statistic um, for anyone in an abusive situation? It, on average, takes them seven times attempting to leave before they actually manage to leave. And many of them end up dead after that by the hands of their abuser. So, no, she's not weak. It's abuse. That's not... And continuing to be kind in the face of abuse is not something that everybody's cut out for. And I'm not going to say, you know, people have to be kind to their abusers because that's not... But if you but, can stay and, a I mean, kind person, I wasn't on even the inside, saying it in the same vein. It's just like a lot of times she's seen as weak because she's kind, and it's not like it's not saying again that you have to be kind. I'm not saying that either. That you specifically have to be kind to your abuser, but she is a kind person, and that does not make her weak. So I think also the important thing to remember about Cinderella. Uh, this version preaches a mantra that is new to the version that a lot of people I've seen online and other where, other where, offline in the real world uh, have is that have courage and be kind, which was something new to this version. It wasn't the mantra is new. The idea that she keeps like this is one of the things that's in the intro of the animated where it says she remained ever kind like this this has always been a cornerstone of Cinderella's personality but yes they have introduced this kind of slogan for the movie through that aspect of her personality where it says kindness has power right and I think it's an important you know she remained ever kind that's great but the fact that this is repeated so much through the movie, this kindness has power, have courage, and be kind, is something that, yeah, when we have kids, I want them to see that. And I want them to know that you can be brave, but you don't have to be hard. You don't to have to do be it. ruthless. Exactly. I think it's kind of a defining characteristic of this entire movie that it is soft in a lot of ways that the characters are soft in a lot of ways and that's not a bad thing yeah and also like you know Cinderella never well in in this it's a little bit of different story but she didn't go to the ball because she wanted to fall in love you know in the original because she wanted a day off you know she wanted to go to the ball And this one is because she wants to see a friend, which she never gets to do. Like, so her motivation also, it's it's not something that's motivated just by, oh, well, she's a girl and she needs a prince to save her. It's 
she's a girl who works very hard and just made a new friend and she wants to see him again. In this version as well, we see that she, a lot of people talk about Cinderella as being somebody who waits for someone to save her. In this version, we have Lady Tremaine coming to her and saying, you can have what you want. And she says, no, no, because it wouldn't be... It wouldn't be the right thing to do. Right. So she is saving, in her, she's saving him, she's saving the country, she is at the cost of her own joy and happiness, knowing she is going to be stuck in this position as a servant for the rest of her life. And she has this out, this out that she could have easily taken. But again, following the mantra, have courage and be kind. It takes a lot of courage to say no to something you want because you know it's not good for For other people. Other people. That's one of those everyday like everyday bravery moments that I think a lot of times we don't think about when we think of being courageous but this willingness to put aside your wants for the betterment of everyone around you that takes so much strength it's a Hufflepuff being brave versus a Gryffindor being brave. You know what? Leave my Gryffindor ways alone. <laughs> We're going to talk about Mulan after we see Mulan, and guess what? <laughs> there is There are different types of bravery. Yes. And this added scene where she had this opportunity, I think was a really nice addition to the film that really even furthers this idea that she is not helpless she is making choices and i think also the other scene where she's talking to uh one of the old servants at the market who's like why don't you just leave yeah and she you know i have to that's my house that's my home i have to protect it and make sure for my mother and father i'm honoring our home i feel like one of the ways that best describes her also as a person is when she first meets Kit in the forest and she asks him how he's treated at the palace and he returns the question and she answers it with, they treat me as well as they're able. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously they don't treat her well at all, but it's just not the kind of person she is. Right. To just go off and... I think one of the... I'm thinking about the story I heard um, about when she says, I forgive you. Yes. And the little girl at the theater goes, well, I don't. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> that child knew what was up. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about the end scene in the staircase when Ella is leaving the house with the prince. And she turns back to look at her stepmother. And yeah, she tells her, I forgive you. <laughs> Yes, but that child did not. Yeah. Because it's not... Here's the thing. I think Cinderella is a great role model, but I think she is a role model of a certain type of person and not everyone can be that person in the same way that not everyone can be Mulan, in the same way that not everyone can be Jasmine. Like, I think princesses in general are good role models because they show different different strengths and different personalities. Because not everybody is cut out to go and save the world. Like, right. Sometimes you change your own, change the world of those around you just by the little actions that you do. Yes. And I think Snow White is also another good example of, you know, she goes through something so awful and so terrible. And. What does she do when she gets to a place? She says, let me clean it up. Let me cook for you. Let me do what I'm able. Which I think is another just important lesson that this movie drives home a lot too. Kindness is something that you're able to do. Most of the time. Maybe not all the time. Maybe you don't have 
the emotional capacity to be kind to people every day, all the time. But it's the small decisions that you make that people don't always take the time to stop and question question like well between this and this that I can do you know which of the two is the better course of action right or even even it's not even between two things that you can do sometimes it's just between doing nothing and doing something right so I think overall which is gonna bring us into final rankings um I think overall Disney set out when they said we're going to remake Cinderella. They said we want it to be an enduring classic like the original. We want it to bring to new audiences. We want it to become timeless. I think they did it. I think they really, it's stunningly beautiful, which as we know, beautiful things tend to draw attention. They draw attention and they endear things to people beautiful paintings, beautiful music, it endears it to you. It makes it, makes you feel special, makes you feel something. So they did that. And then the messages that we just talked about, make it something that I think in 50 years, you'll be able to show a child and they'll still, the messages will be applicable to people. There's always going to be people who are in need of kindness. And there's always going to be people who are taking advantage of people and abusing people. And I think it's timeless in that way, in the way that it's handled this, in the way that it's modernized, adding those extra scenes that we talked about to show Cinderella from the original and Cinderella now. They're not leagues apart. They're the same character. Yeah. But with a little extra depth to her, to Ella, a little bit of extra depth to her. And I think it'll be endearing and it'll be lasting. And though though we don't hear people as much talk about this movie as they do about some of the other live actions, I think it is one of those that in the future, 20, 30 years down the road, when we talk about the live action resurgence and people go back and watch all the live actions all one after the other that they're going to see that 2015 Cinderella is one of the best done live actions if not the best that Disney has done and for that reason I'm going to rank it a 9.8 for all of this and you're not even giving it a 10 (laughs) you just went on the like five minute long description of why this movie is so amazing and you're not even giving it a 10 fine i will give it a 10 good because i give it an 11 i'm breaking the scale (laughs) then what are you gonna do for rewatchability i could easily watch this movie every day we watched it yesterday i want to watch it again like if and i would At some point, I would switch to every other, every week, but for a while, for sure, I could watch it every day. I think this starts out, I could watch it maybe, not every day, but every few days, like, you know, twice a week for a while, and then once a week, and then probably once every day, like, spacing it out, but I don't think it would ever get further than once a month at the maximum that I could watch it. It's not how much we watch it, but you know, we have other things to do, so I could theoretically watch it Yeah, every I few mean, days. This, this is one of the movies that I would go to when I'm not feeling well, like over Christmas when I was sick and I couldn't sleep. That's one of the movies I put on to watch in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, no, definitely for a while every day for me. And yeah, I, I would never get further than... I could probably, even at, like, my furthest, watch it a couple of times a month. Yeah. So, what are we covering next week? Uh, Next week, so we're going chronological next week, which I believe is now putting us at 
Um, Ichabod Crane. What's it called? The Adventures of Ichabod and, and Mr. Mr. Toad. Toad. Yeah. Yes. So, which we've never seen. So that'll be interesting. Correct. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to be next week's episode. Uh, so until then, you can, as always, reach us on various social media platforms. Uh, you can like our Facebook page, Magical Streaming, and you can comment on it. And that's also where one of the places where we would put our polling for um, listener's choice uh, you can follow us on Instagram, and I might start doing polling there as well if we can figure out a better way to do it on Facebook. Um, we'll, so Insta- we'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll see We'll see what we do uh, since Facebook has taken away. Like, you can still do polls in groups, but you can't do it on pages, so I don't know. We'll figure uh, it out. But yeah, so Instagram, Magical Streaming. We're on Twitter. At Stream the, the Magic. Magic. Uh, you can also send us an email if you have any comments, any suggestions, any questions. Magical streaming at yahoo.com. And until next time, enjoy your magical streaming. Bye bye. <laughs>